If you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to Psalm 101. Psalm 101. Um, I think I had previously said that we were going to be in Numbers 6, and then I changed my mind and didn't tell you until just now. Um, so if you were studying number six, I don't feel too bad. It's a great passage to study, but uh, we're not going to look at it this morning. We're going to look at Psalm 101. Uh, I'm, no, I'm no scientist, but I took some science classes in high school, and uh, I'm pretty good with Google. Uh, so I can tell you that Newton's first law, sometimes called the law of, anyone know Newton's first law, the law of? Inertia. I knew Trevor would know. The law of inertia. It states this. An object at rest stays at rest, and an object in motion stays in motion with the same speed and in the same direction unless acted upon by an outside force. Um, if this were a science classroom, then uh, we would talk about what that means for cars and, you know, things moving forward, or maybe comets, I think, would maybe more, be more applicable to the law of inertia. I'm not really sure. But this is a sermon, so we're not going to talk about those things. I want us to think about how that's true for our own lives, that this law of inertia illustrates the point that as you and I desire to follow after the Lord and apply certain disciplines to our lives, if we don't get up and do certain things, then we never will. Um, and also, uh, that, that, that idea that we will remain at rest. And also that if we need to stop doing certain things, unless we apply some sort of effort, unless we apply outside force, then we will never stop with those practices. The inertia will continue forward. I think a colloquial way of saying this would be, if nothing ever changes, then nothing ever changes in our lives. So add uh, to Newton's first law, this law of inertia, the second law of thermodynamics, which is in its, simple, in its simplest form, it says that entropy or disorder will always increase. So when you pour cream into your coffee, the liquids will, will mix and they will become more disordered. And they will not at some point spontaneously separate and order themselves. That's, that's what entropy is. I don't know about you, but I see that in my life. Uh, disorder naturally increases. I see that in my kitchen. Disorder naturally increases, which means that not only if nothing ever changes, not, not only does nothing ever change, but also things get worse. If nothing changes, things get worse in our lives if we don't make changes. So there, this may be a complicated way to say something that we already know about ourselves, that if we're moving in one direction, unless we make changes, we will continue to move in that direction. But I think we all know this about ourselves. We know that it's hard to start good habits. It's hard to stop bad habits. Um, and so for that reason, we as human beings make resolutions. A resolution is defined as a firm decision to do or not to do something. They are efforts to stop the negative inertia in our lives and to decrease the disorder that is in our lives. Now, whether or not you adopt the practice, I know some people are totally against New Year's resolutions, and some people love them. Whether, whatever you do with it, we can all admit that there is a need in our lives to make firm decisions. 
And if we're going to, to walk in ways that please God, if we're going to grow in holiness and in love, then we will need to make some firm decisions in our lives. If not, then we will stay at rest. If not, we will continue in the wrong direction and disorder will take over our lives. Whether or not you make New Year's resolutions, we all need to make resolutions in our lives. Now, not surprisingly, I'm thinking especially of resolutions intended to help us grow in our faith. Resolutions are good if you want to make resolutions about your diet. I made a resolution this past year to put my clothes away at the end of the night, not just throw them on the floor, which I'd done for, I feel like, 35, 36 years of my life. Um, and I did it. I feel very proud of myself in some sense, and I'm sure my wife is happy now. But I'm not talking about those kind of resolutions. I'm talking about resolutions that help us grow in our faith, um, that help us walk in purity and devotion to Christ. And so let me say right off the, the bat, at the center of these resolutions is the Spirit of God applying the Scriptures to our lives and giving us the power to do what He awakens us to do. So don't hear me saying that the Christian life is a life that's lived by the force of our wills, because our wills are naturally bound in sin, and apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But if we are in Christ, if by faith we have re repented of our sins, we've put our trust in Christ, and, and what he's done through his life and death and resurrection, then we are forgiven, and we're, we're made new. And as God's children, with God's Spirit in us, we do desire to walk with him. And, and that desire often overflows in us looking at our lives and seeing practices that we want to start or practices that we want to, to stop so that we could grow in living a life that reflects the glory of God, that we might live a life that's, that's pleasing to our Father. And here in Psalm 101, we actually find David doing just that. We find David making resolutions to live in holiness, to live and rule in a way that would please God. Of course, as we read this psalm, we need to remember that David was the king of Israel. And so these resolutions have a unique application to him as a leader of that nation. But they can also apply to us in our leadership roles at work or in the church or in the home. And not only that, but they help us to see the areas in our lives that we should consider when resolving to walk more closely to the Father. As we read these resolutions, we can ask something like, um, in what spheres of, of life does David make resolutions? Wh where is he deciding to, to walk in greater holiness and walk in closeness to, to God? And how can we do the same? I think David is saying in Psalm 101, with God's help, I will walk in integrity. That's, that's sort of David's, the blanket statement of what Psalm 101 is. With God's help, I will walk in integrity. And so he teaches us to read this psalm and then say the same thing. This is sort of our big idea. It's a statement that I hope we, we walk out with in our hearts. It's this, with God's help, I resolve to walk in his ways. With God's help, I resolve, I, I decide, I'm, I'm making the decision. I, I want to work hard at walking in his ways. With God's help, I resolve to walk in his ways. In fact, I think David teaches us not just to make up a, a list of things that we want to do or not do, but rather how to to think about, and we might even say how to envision the life that we desire to live for God's glory. He, he models for us how to ponder and how to even describe for ourselves the kind of life that we desire to live and then to chase after that. 
He helps us to, to see how we might put flesh and bones on our desires and write down what it would look like if we were walking in submission to his spirit, to God's spirit on a daily basis. So I would invite you to even now begin envisioning that, to ponder what it looks like for you in the coming year to walk in God's ways. I want us again to say together, with God's help, I resolve to walk in his ways and to consider the areas in which we can make those kinds of resolutions and what those resolutions might look like, to consider what the path of godliness will look like. And so with that in mind, let's, let's read Psalm 101. And as we read it, what you should stand out most clearly to you are the declarations and assertions about what David says he will and will not do. So as we read, take note of those statements that begin with the words, I will. Uh, if you are in the habit of underlining your Bible, that would be a, an easy thing to underline every time that this psalm says, I will. Um, but also begin thinking about the progression that's going from verse 1 down to the final verse, verse 8. So let's read Psalm 101. It's a psalm of David. He writes, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. O when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Again, David is teaching us to say with him, with God's help, I resolve to walk in his ways. And the first realm in which he makes a resolution is, is within the realm of worship. Worship. So that could be kind of your first point. And then regarding worship, David invites us to join him in, in declaring, I will sing of all that God is. He even resolves to make music. I will make music, he says. So the realm is worship, and the resolution related to worship is this. I will sing of all that God is. Other than maybe professional musicians or people who want to be on the TV show The Voice, I don't know anyone who resolves at the end of the year to sing and make music. Have you ever made that resolution? I will sing this year. But David shows us the great value of rejoicing in who God is. How wise God's word is. It places this resolution about worship at the very beginning. And this is the place to start when we're resolving to change and walk in God's ways. It's the place to start because it's much easier to live life driven by what or by who we love rather than to be driven by our willpower. We do what we love without much thought. And, and what or who we love easily motivates our path in life. I remember being young and in love with Andrea. I'm even more in love with her now, not that we were young and now I'm not in love, but, but young love is something unique, isn't it? There's something unique about it. Uh, in those early months and years, we w I would drive 
any distance. We'd stay up as late as possible. We would invest what little money we had just to, to be near each other or to make each other happy in some way. And none of it ever felt like a, like a sacrifice, you know. We dated long distance. We did a lot of driving to, to see each other. As I was thinking about this, I thought about this song by a guy named uh, Connor Oberst, who's probably never been quoted in a sermon ever, but uh, he would sing, I remember the time you drove all night just to meet me in the morning, and I thought it was strange. You said everything changed. You felt as if you just woke up. And I remember driving long distance, and that just described how we felt, because that's, that's the effect of love. It, it wakes you up when the rest of life sort of wants to lull you to sleep. It motivates you. Love sort of seeps down into your heart, and then your heart pumps that, that love into your will and to every other extremity so that everything you think or do has to do with love for that thing or, or that person. It's, it's flowing to every part of you, and that love sort of enlivens you and it, it sustains you. To that end, James Smith writes this in his book titled, You Are What You Love. He says, Jesus doesn't encounter Matthew and John or you and me and ask, what do you know? He doesn't even ask, what do you believe? He asks, what do you want? This is the most incisive, piercing question Jesus can ask of us precisely because we are what we want. Our wants and longings and desires are at the core of our identity, the wellspring from which our actions and behavior flow. Our wants reverberate from our hearts, the epicenter of the human person. Thus, Scripture counsels, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. And so, when we begin our, our resolutions by starting with love for God and a desire to please God, when we begin by sort of honing, or as he says, curating our affections on what is pure, and with letting ourselves sing about God until our hearts are full of love for him, then walking in the ways that please him becomes a joy. It becomes natural. It becomes what we long to do. We, we don't tire of loving him or following him with our lives because we're always waking up to the, the song of salvation that first won our hearts. And that song sort of becomes the rhythm of our lives that we just tap our feet to. Love for God becomes the, the soundtrack of our lives and we sort of whistle while we work for God's glory. It just is part of who we are. I don't know about you, but this is where I often fail with resolutions. It, it's often where I fail with just starting it each new day. <laughs> the failure is in the fact that I begin with my will rather than with my heart. I process what I'm going to do before I pause and sing. I wake up ready to work on my will rather than to ready to sing from my heart. But George Mueller was right to wisely seek, as he said, as the first duty of his day, to make his heart happy in God through the word and through prayer. Because happiness in and for God is what will fuel our will and it's what will awaken our resolve to live for him. David teaches us that, that we who are God's children need to always remember who our father is, to, to ponder his steadfast, unfailing love for us, a love that's committed to our good and a love that is 
rooted in his unchanging goodness and faithfulness. And we also need to remember his justice, that he is holy, that he is righteous. He's a God who hates sin and who will rightly judge it now and at the end of the age. And in considering his steadfast love and his justice and everything else that God is, we not only remember him, but we rejoice in his perfect character. We not only understand all that he is, but we can sing and rejoice in what we do grasp about him. Practically speaking, if we want to know who God is and rejoice in who he is, we need to learn about him from the scriptures. We said this last week. It's the word of God that reveals to us the character of God. And so it's always good to resolve to be in God's word and to be in the word with the goal of knowing more about who God is and rejoicing in who he is. And so as we head into the new year, as has been our practice, I've got some Bible reading plans for you. If you want to resolve to read the Bible this year, I've got some, some plans. This is the one I'm going to do. It's a five-day Bible reading plan. So it's, it's just five days a week rather than seven days. So if you forget something, you've got a couple days to catch up, or if your weekends are crazy or something like that, it, it works well for that. It's chronological, um, and it's all, it has a reading from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and very often from the Psalms for five days of each week. But I've got other ones. If you want to tackle uh, McShane, you can ask Jordan. I think he tackled that one, and, and it's not a simple one, but uh, you can try that one. Or there's some kids, if you just want to read through the New Testament, there's some that are very simple, just a chapter a day and get you through the New Testament in a year. But we read the Scriptures because we want to know who God is. We don't read the scriptures so that at the end of the year we can say, I read through the Bible. But we read through the scriptures so that we can grow to know God better, to daily make our hearts happy in him so that we can rejoice in him and that we can strive to walk in his ways. We read the scriptures so that we can know our Father's love for us more fully and then reflect him in the world. You know, we might also remember that David says, he will sing and make music. Music is a powerful thing, isn't it? It's part of every culture, and it's, it's part of our daily lives. Music is powerful to express our love, but also to lead us into love. When we sing about who God is, our hearts grow in love for him through what we're singing. So you might need to invest in a hymnal to carry along with your Bible, just so that you have something to sing. It may be a good practice just to begin each day with a, with a song of praise. Maybe the same one, but maybe different ones. It could happen in your home. It could happen on your commute when no one else is in that car with you. And you sing a song of praise to, to tune your heart to God and to who he is and to walking in his ways. It's good to invest in music to listen to throughout out your day. Music that draws us into to worship. You might even, as David does here, to write a song, to write some poetry, to write something to reflect on who God is. It's not going to be scripture. Nothing that we write is scripture. It's not going to be what David wrote, but it is helpful to, to write out what we believe God is and, and to, to meditate on that. You know, the power of music might also mean that there's some music that you need to stop listening to because music does draw our hearts to certain things. There may be certain radio stations or music that you need to leave behind because music has a, a powerful effect on our hearts and on our affections, and on our lives. However you do it, though, we need to find ways to rejoice and to resolve to sing of who God is, connecting that to the scriptures, and connecting ourselves 
with joy in who God is because joy in God will fuel everything else that we do. We need to enact our wills, but before we, we work hard on our wills, let's work hard on our hearts that we would love God and that flowing out of our love for Christ that we would walk in his ways. I've spent a good time and we're just in verse one, aren't we? But, but worship sets the tone for everything else. We've said before that beholding is becoming, that to know and rejoice in who our God is opens us up to grow in his likeness. And so our joy in God leads us to make other resolutions and then to have the power to do them. So this first category we've seen for godly resolutions is in the realm of worship, to resolve to sing of all that God is. But then the second category, if I had to pick one, would be personal holiness. It's the category of making resolutions within the realm of personal holiness. And the resolution that we can make with David is this, I will walk in all of God's ways. I will walk in all of God's ways. He also actually states it negatively, so we could, we could say it like this as well, I will not walk in the ways of the wicked. That's a resolution too. I will walk in God's ways. I will not walk in the ways of the wicked. He begins verse two by saying that he will ponder the blameless way. The NIV says, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. And both show this need of careful thinking, of, of pondering and considering what the blameless way looks like. In our day and age, when you go on a road trip, you, you plug in where you want to go on a map app, and then you look at the route and you figure out exactly how you're going to get there. And so too, if we, if we think about what the blameless life is, if, if that's where we want to get, we want to get to being people of holiness and, and integrity, if that's where we want to go, then we need to ponder the path to get there, to think about what the route to be growing in that it looks like. If we don't pause and map out what the blameless life will look like in our specific life situations, then we will get lost along the way. So it's wise to set time aside to consider how we can grow in personal holiness. And what better time to do that than the end of the year? Because we have to plan. As has been said, failing to plan is planning to fail. If we don't have a map, we're going to get lost. If we don't plan for how we're going to grow in holiness in the coming days, we won't. So in considering the path that is blameless, David rightly then says, he says, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? Meaning, God, I need you to come and help me. I can't do this on my own. I need you with me. This is always the case when we think about the difficult task of killing our fleshly desires and yielding to the Spirit. When we make any strong resolution, we realize that we need God's help. And so while we make resolutions with determination, we also make them recognizing that if God does not come and help us and strengthen us, then we can do nothing to please him. And we will always stray from the blameless path. We live our lives by faith. We're always asking God to help us to do what he's called us to do, trusting that any God-given desire to please him will also come with the God-given power to do what he's asking us to do. Notice this, that as David thinks on his blameless path, he begins his journey in his home, 
I will walk with integrity of my heart. Where? Within my house. Home is often where we let our guard down. Home is sometimes the place where our pride and our selfishness seem to run freely. We all look good at church, don't we? But sometimes in the home is when we are the toughest person to get along with, each of us. But Spurgeon says of this verse, what we are at home, that we are indeed. It's convicting, isn't it? What we are at home, that we are indeed. And so let us begin our resolutions not with how we will live outside of our houses, but with how we will live in and amongst those who know us best. Let's seek to be holy and blameless in the lives that we live among our roommates and spouses and children and family. We see in verses 3 and 4 that such holiness in the home and then beyond involves avoiding wickedness. It means not setting before our eyes wicked things. And oh, how many wicked things we have that we can set before our eyes. How quickly we can see them all in this day and age. Might I encourage us all to ponder the place of our computers and our cell phones and our televisions on the blameless path. We have to pause and think about when and how we use our phones and how often we might set them aside. We need to consider boundaries for our televisions and all the other screens that that fill our lives. If we don't, nothing will change. And we will be constantly putting before our eyes things that are worthless, that are not helping us but are hurting us. If you want to think more, I don't, we don't have time this morning to think about the blameless path in the digital age, but I found the book The TechWise Family by Andy Crouch to be helpful. Just some, some real practical tips for what to do. And I've heard good things about the book uh, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Uh, these are helpful resources to think about how we, um, how we can grow in these ways. That's the TechWise Family and 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. So we are careful in our homes. That's where we begin with these resolutions. We are careful about what we set before our eyes. David shows us that holiness means that we don't rejoice in the sins of others, nor do we allow perversity to be near us. Purity of life is to know nothing of evil, or as Paul writes in Romans 16, 19, to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. So I invite you to consider what it looks like to walk in God's ways in your home first and then throughout your life. And we need to envision this blameless path and envision what it looks like to walk down that path in this coming year. What do we need to do to grow in personal holiness? I can't answer that question for all of us because we're all in different places, but we all need to make steps to to get down this path because if we don't, then at the end of next year, we will be no different than we are now. Worship is the first area. Personal holiness is the second. And then the third area that David makes declarations in is in the realm of interpersonal relationships. You might just say relationships if you want. You don't have to say interpersonal. But it's just the reality that we're not hermits, right? We live with other people. Again, David gives us the positive and a negative resolution. He says in verses five through eight, he says, I will dwell with and welcome the blameless. And on, the, cons- on the, the negative side, he says, I will distance myself from and destroy the wicked. I will dwell with and welcome the blameless. I will distance myself from and destroy the wicked. 
who we are surrounded by has a significant impact on how we live. As a king, David determined not to be a typical politician who simply helped those who helped him. He wasn't focused on giving political favors to friends or to those who were influential in Israel, but rather verse 6 says that he that, that it was those who were faithful to the Lord and those who were blameless who would be found in his presence. They were the ones that were going to influence him. They were the ones that were going to have the king's ear. He honored people because of their faithfulness to the Lord and their blamelessness of life. These were the people that he valued. These were the people that he listened to. And in contrast, in verse 5, he says that he would not endure the presence of gossips or of those that were proud. Verse 7 says that he would that those who deceive and lie would not be near to him. And in verse 8, he says that, that he would habitually, morning by morning, run the wicked out of the land. Who we surround ourselves is important. Who we honor in our lives and who we allow to speak into our lives has a massive influence on the path that we take. That's not to say that we ignore and reject anyone who doesn't know Christ. We need to be salt and light in the world. And there, there's no way to completely avoid the wicked. That's reality. But who do we give the power to influence us? Who, who do we invite into our hearts to give us advice, to give us counsel? Who are the people that surround us the most? When I think about this, these interpersonal relationships and I think about David's life, I think about Nathan. If you know anything about the story of David, you know that Nathan was a prophet who spoke for God to King David. And David invited him into his life to speak things. He encouraged David, but he also rebuked David. Nathan was the one who came to him after David had sinned with Bathsheba, and he's the one that rebuked him and, and pointed out his sin to him. Nathan loved David enough to tell him the truth. And when Nathan's words were hard to hear, David didn't cast him out, but rather he trusted him. He listened to him. He knew that Nathan was a man of strong character, that he was faithful, that he was blameless. And we all need people like Nathan in our lives. We need people that we can trust to tell us the truth. Often our, our resolutions at the end of the year, they're just personal. They, they focus on what we're going to do on our own. But what about resolutions that would grow our relationships with people? What about mapping out the year in a way that invites deeper friendships? Some thoughts maybe to that end. What if you just renewed your commitment to be at church on Sunday? Just to, to be here. Um, I'm not picking on anyone, but, but to be here on time so that we can interact with one another and we can encourage one another. Uh, to stay around for the mealtime afterwards so that we can talk and we can pray with one another. To, to be investing in relationships here with people who we've committed to and who, who love us and, and want us to grow in our faith. Maybe a commitment to a small group if you're not a part of one or commitment to a discipleship relationship. That, that you might have boldness to approach someone and say, you know what, I want you to be like a Nathan to me. I want you to encourage me. I want you to help me to grow in my faith. Or that we might have boldness to approach someone else and say, I want to learn from you, but I also feel like I have some things I could help you grow in. And so let's commit to building a deeper friendship that's rooted in our common faith. It could be something simple like a commitment to have people over to your house for dinner once a month or every other week or something like that to, to build deep friendships, to build strong relationships. And when you have them over to ask hard questions 
hey, tell me about what's the best part of your week and what's the hardest thing that happened for you this week and how can we encourage one another? How can we pray with one another? It may be something simple like sending a card of encouragement to someone to, in the middle of their week. I don't know about you, we got mail this Christmas. It's nice to get real mail, isn't it? When someone actually wrote something down. It's nice. And of course, we could do that all year long and to encourage one another. Whatever it is, it's, it's, it's cultivating friendships that help you to grow with others in Christ-likeness. What kind of resolution could you make this year to cultivate those kind of relationships? And David actually makes three, res- if we look at, the, at verse 5, verse 7, and verse 8, as compared to verse 6, three of those sections are talking about people that he's going to avoid, people that he won't let have an influence in his life, people that he says are not going to have power to speak truth to him. So our resolutions may mean scaling back on some of our friendships and some relationships that cause us to stray from God. Not forsaking people, but just recognizing that maybe there's some people that, that I can trust better, that, that have a greater interest in my spiritual well-being and my heart than others. And, and I need to listen to them to know that they want me to grow in my faith and they also love me. These are hard things, but relationships are a key part of our lives. And all of this is going to take vigilance. Relationships, let's be honest, are work. Relationships are hard. It's easy to make resolutions about what I think I'm going to do for myself. But when I start involving other people in the equation, that gets difficult. Scheduling is, is half the battle. Getting together with people is half the battle, let alone when you're actually together getting into good conversations and growing in friendship. That's really hard. You have to wear your heart on your sleeve. You're going to get hurt. Growing in relationships means that you're opening yourself up for hard things. Relationships take work, too, in the sense that David says he destroyed the wicked. How often, verse 8? Morning by morning. Resolutions to live in holiness and integrity are not made at the beginning of the year and then forgotten. We have to strive for holiness morning by morning by morning. We have to cultivate solid friendships every day. How can we do that? We should ponder what it looks like to grow in godly relationships. So worship, personal holiness, relationships. Here in in Psalm 101 through the resolutions of King David, God's word shows us that these are wise areas to reflect on, wise areas to resolve to grow in, worship, personal holiness, and relationships. And so I would encourage you to take this outline, those, those three simple big, big areas of worship and, and holiness and relationships, take that outline and write your own Psalm 101 in the coming days. It doesn't have to look like a psalm or like a poem, but, but find a way to describe who you want to be by God's grace in those three areas. Put on, some, on paper some I will statements. That's what David did here. I will sing. I will ponder. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. What are statements that, that flow with the heart of David that you can, in the heart of the scriptures, that you can put down on paper and say, this is who I will be by God's grace. I want to look down the path and say, this is what I want to do and who I want to be in the coming year and in the coming years.
course, resolutions and declarations and statements are not enough. Was David a great king? He was. He was the standard by which all other kings of Israel were measured, and none of them ever measured up to David. He ruled with the kind of loving kindness and justice that he, that he worshipped in God. He was a man of integrity. He surrounded himself with mighty and wise men and women and rewarded the faithful. But we all know that David also failed miserably, that he broke these resolutions. And we all have failed miserably. And you can write down your resolutions, and I guarantee if they're strong resolutions like this, you and I will fail. We will not keep our resolutions completely. But I think the fact that we will fail is not a reason not to make resolutions. To not strive after worship or holiness or love for others simply because we know we're going to fail at it would be foolish. Rather, the the certainty of our failure is all the more reason to worship and trust in Jesus as the Savior and as the great high priest who has never failed. We, We don't strive after these things to earn our salvation, but rather we do it in response to the greatness of our salvation. We don't trust in our own strength and wisdom. Rather, we we plead with Jesus who understands our weakness and he comes to help us in time of need. Jesus doesn't look at us when we make resolutions and say, fat chance you're going to keep that one. No, he comes to help us. He wants us to grow. And as we grow in love for him, we want to walk in ways that please him. And then we look at Jesus as the one that we want to be like. He's the one who worshiped God with his whole life. He's the one who never sinned. He's the one who loved others and rejected wickedness. What we can say with David, with God's help, I resolve to walk in his ways. Or we could say, with God's help, I want to be like Jesus. I want to walk in the ways of Jesus. And when we fail, we can rest in the grace of Jesus who is the only perfect Savior and the only perfect King to ever live, who freely forgives us, restores us, and then strengthens us morning by morning so that we can walk in ways that please Him day after day. Let's take a moment of silence and then I will close this in prayer. Father, I pray that these words from the scriptures and these words that I've spoken would just be uh, a prompt, that they would be something that you would use to awaken in our hearts a desire to map out the blameless way, to, to think through how we can make statements like David did about what we will do for your glory, what we will do to grow in Christlikeness with our lives and in in the coming year. Lord, give us a a vision, a a Holy Spirit-inspired vision for how you want us to live, for practices that you want us to cultivate, for things that you want us to forsake. Lord, help us not to be those that just fall into the law of inertia, that if we're sitting doing nothing, we're going to keep doing nothing, or if we're walking in ways that aren't pleasing to you, that we're just going to keep doing it. 
or that disorder is just going to continue to increase in our lives. So we pray against that. And we pray that by your grace, we would resolve to grow in a way that would please you. And Lord, when we fail, as we surely will, we pray that you would help us to fall on you. God, thank you that our salvation is not rooted in resolutions. It's not rooted in what we do or don't do. It's rooted in what Christ has done and that he has made a way. But our hope is in him alone. Fill us with great affection and love for him so that we would long to walk in your ways and then strengthen us, God, to do that for your glory in our lives, for your glory in our church, for your glory to spread in this world. Lord God, I pray for those that may be just contemplating these things, it's discouraging that you would encourage them. But I pray for those of us who maybe are overly optimistic about our abilities, that you would help us to be realistic and trust in you, to make resolutions that are within the scope of what we can do. Lord, guide us in these days to come as we think on what you have for us in, in this new year and as we just commit to walking in ways that would, that would please you. Well, thank you for Christ. Thank you that um, he has given us a, a model to follow after. But more than that, he has saved us because we could never do it right. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.